So Daniel 7, starting at verse 1, it says this. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions of his head as he lay in his bed. Then he wrote down the dream and told the sum of the matter. Daniel declared, I saw in my vision by night and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea and four great beasts came out of the sea, different from one another. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. Then as I looked, its wings were plucked off and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man and the mind of a man was given to it. And behold, another beast, the second one, like a bear, it was raised up on one side. It had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth, and it was told, Arise, devour much flesh. After this I looked, and behold, another like a leopard, with four wings of a bird on its back, and the beast had four heads, and a dominion was given to it. After this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth. It devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another horn, a little one, before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking great things. As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames, its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousands served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. And court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. I looked then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking. And as I looked, the beast was killed and its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. As for me, Daniel, my spirit within me was anxious, and the visions of my head alarmed me. I approached one of those who stood there and asked him the truth concerning all this. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of the things. These four great beasts are four kings who shall arise out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever and ever. Then I desired to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all the rest, exceedingly terrifying with its teeth of iron and claws of bronze, and which devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. And about the ten horns that were on its head, and the other horn that came up and before which three of them fell, the horn that had eyes and a mouth that spoke great things, and that seemed greater than its companions. As I looked, this horn made war with the saints and prevailed over them, until the Ancient of Days came, and judgment was given for the saints of the Most High, 
and the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. Thus he said, as for the fourth beast, there shall be a fourth kingdom on earth that shall be different from all the kingdoms, and it shall devour the whole earth and trample it down and break it to pieces. As for the ten horns, out of the kingdom ten kings shall arise, and another shall arise after them. He shall be different from the former ones and shall put down three kings. He shall speak words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High and shall think to change the times and the law. And they shall be given into his hand for a time, times and half a time. But the court shall sit in judgment and his dominion shall be taken away to be consumed and destroyed to the end. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. Their kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey them. Here is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly alarmed me, and my colour changed, but I kept the matter in my heart. Well, do keep that text open. Um, we're not going to be working through it uh, in a normal way. We work through uh, text, it's slightly more thematic, um, but we will be looking at Daniel 7 and Acts 1 in the course of uh, the message this morning. So do have your Bibles ready. Just to say, as usual, uh, there's an outline of a talk in your handout, so make use of that as you will. And there will be question time at the end. But before we go any further, let's pray and ask for God's help. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the God who does not change, that you continue to be the God who is truthful, good and sovereign over us. And therefore we pray that we would be consistent in our approach to your word, that we would listen to it, trust it and obey it, and therefore vindicate uh, who you are as your people. In Jesus' name, Amen. Each year in the run-up to Christmas, we have a mini Christmas series here at Trinity. Uh, what we're going to be looking at uh, this week and next week is the theme of the coming of the sun. Now, you might think this is very on point for Christmas as we celebrate the incarnation. But in this mini series, we're going to explore the coming of the sun from a different perspective. Usually when we consider the coming of the sun, we think about the coming of the sun to us. He was born of the Virgin Mary and so on. But there is another perspective, one that's shared by the Bible, the coming of the sun to heaven. It's all about where your perspective is. Who is Jesus coming to? There is a coming to us or to earth, in the incarnation. But there is also the coming of the sun to heaven. That is otherwise known as the ascension. It's what the disciples witnessed in our first reading this morning from Acts chapter 1, when Jesus is taken up into heaven. And we're going to spend today and next Sunday exploring the ascension, Jesus coming to heaven what that's all about, and the consequences of it. This week we're going to consider how the ascension of the Son relates to the Father. 
Next week, we're going to consider how the ascension of the sun relates to the spirit. The ascension is promised in the Bible. It's promised in the book of Psalms, notably Psalm 8, Psalm 68, Psalm 110. And we'll have a look at one of those next week. But today we're going to consider how it is promised in Daniel, which was um, our main Bible reading this morning. If you'd like to turn with me to Daniel, it's on page 744 of the Church Bibles. Let me read again to you verses 13 and 14. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, and he came to the Ancient of Days, and was presented before him, and he was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, that all peoples, nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. These verses come from part of a dream vision that Daniel was given. And this part, there are two principal characters. There is the Ancient of Days, and there is one like a son of man. The Ancient of Days is seated on the throne, and the one like a son of man comes to the Ancient of Days with the clouds of heaven. But what is in view is not only who he comes to, verse 13, but that he comes in order to receive, verse 14. And what he receives, what he is given from the ancient of days, is dominion and glory and a kingdom. Now we need to be clear here about what is actually going on. This is not about God establishing his sovereignty. God is already sovereign. That was established at creation. God doesn't change. He hasn't changed. He is sovereign over his creation. The thing that has changed is that humanity now contests his rule. It began in Genesis 3 and continued from there on in. In the context of Daniel, it's seen in the human kingdoms that come and go. The whole premise of the book of Daniel is that God is sovereign over those kingdoms and gives it to whom he chooses. Now, whilst the human kings don't necessarily share that perspective, nevertheless, God is sovereign over them and they only exist and stand because of his say-so. The book of Daniel narrates a heavenly perspective of redemptive history. It reveals how there will be these human kingdoms, four in fact, that will come and go, and then a fifth kingdom will be established. This fifth kingdom is different from the other four in two respects. First, it's established by God. Second, it lasts forever. In other words, the fifth kingdom is the kingdom of God, and unlike the other four which come and go, the kingdom of God will remain forever. 
That's what's happening in Daniel 7. That as the Son of Man goes to the Ancient of Days, he receives dominion. In terms of the kingdom of God has now come. This is the installation of God's king, of the one who will have authority in his kingdom. That will replace all the previous human kings and establish God's kingdom that will last forever. This is about a new phase in redemptive history, where the kingdom of God will replace the other kingdoms. That's what's going on here. The sovereign God who gives the kingdom to whoever he chooses, he gives the kingdom of God to this Son of Man. In short, the coming of the Son is the coming of the Son to God to receive the kingdom and dominion over it. Jesus is quick to pick up on the language of the coming of the Son of Man. Jesus identifies himself as the Son of Man, and that in his coming to heaven, he is now given all authority. Now initially, his identity as the Son of Man is somewhat veiled. The link with Daniel 7 is not made explicit. Yet later, when he's on trial before Pilate, uh, and it's worth uh, looking at this, it's Matthew 26, he makes the link explicit. Let me read a couple of verses from Matthew 26, uh, starting at verse 63. But Jesus remained silent, and the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God, Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, You have said so. But I tell you, from now on you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Now we do need to be careful when we think about Jesus and his coming. For the temptation for us is to jump straight to his coming to us. Obviously not his first coming uh, to us or to earth, because that's already happened, but his second coming to us. Now sometimes that is what he's talking about, but a number of times in Matthew, um, and actually we've seen uh, two of them in growth group, uh, so Matthew 10 verse 12 and Matthew 16 verse 28, Jesus talks about some of them witnessing the coming of the Son of Man. And so unless Jesus has made a mistake, because, well, they never saw his second coming to them, he must be referring not to his coming to them, but his coming to the Father. In other words, the coming he's referring to is in the terms of Daniel 7, the coming of the Son of Man to the Ancient of Days. Now you can see how this helps us, because if you look at the bare words of Jesus' ascension in Acts chapter 1, well that's from a human perspective. They see him going 
from them on the clouds of heaven. But, but that's all they see. But because we have the dream vision of Daniel 7, and Jesus identifying as that son of man, we know that his going on the clouds from them is a coming to the Ancient of Days and his installation, his enthronement, his exaltation of the ruler of the world. What we're seeing then is in terms of the ascension of the Son and its relation to the Father, it's about the coming of the Son to the Father to receive all authority over the kingdom of God. It's about the Father establishing his Son as ruler over the world. Now let's think for a moment about the consequences of this. Because the ascension has been observed to be somewhat downplayed in Christian circles. You know, we talk very readily about the cross and the resurrection, understandably so. But the ascension may be less so. So let's explore the implication of that. The ascension concerns how we think about Jesus' absence. How do we understand the absence of Jesus? Desertion. Has he abandoned us? Indifference. Does it represent a lack of concern and interest in us? Impotence. Is his absence from us a sign of his weakness? Now, we might not articulate those things explicitly, but they are the sorts of areas to drift into, albeit implicitly. Whereas actually his ascension isn't about his absence from us, but about his installation as a ruler over the cosmos. We need the vision of Daniel 7 to fill our understanding of what the significance of the ascension is. Rather than think of the Son's coming as an absence from us, it's a receiving of dominion from the Father. His absence isn't desertion, but victory. Now this has important consequences for us, for we still live in a world that contests God's rule. And resisting Jesus in this way is now both illegitimate and futile. It's illegitimate because in God's eternal plan, Jesus' kingship is cosmic. And it's futile because Jesus is already the decisive victor. You know, the, the ascension isn't merely an attempt at power. It is victory won. And living in these circumstances is then a challenge to our faith. Jesus' rule is still contested. And the ascension is victory focuses us on the Jesus who reigns now. And we're not to see the Christian life now as something to do on our own, 
whose outcome even depends fundamentally on us. Rather, as those united by faith with the ascended reigning Jesus, we share in his victory. To the world, believers may simply seem oppressed, but they are also united to the ascended Christ and sit with him. Christian experiences of oppression remain real and agonizing, but this renders them less absolute and final. We began by considering the coming of Jesus, but not the perspective of his coming to us, but his coming to heaven. It's this heavenly perspective that we've been considering. And what we've seen is that in his coming, the Son comes to the Father and receives dominion over the whole world. It's what was promised in the dream vision given to Daniel. And it's what was fulfilled in the ascension of Jesus. And we've considered the consequences of this in terms of how the ascension speaks of victory won. Jesus' ascension is not about his absence from us, but about his victory over the cosmos. The risen and ascended Jesus is himself the start of a renewed cosmos. His absence from this, this passing order is a sign of his presence in God's new creation and for us a hopeful deposit. Well, next week, we're going to consider how the ascension relates to the spirit. But for now, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time to uh, begin to consider the coming of the Son to heaven. And we thank you for the promise of Daniel 7 that helps us to see how this coming to heaven is a coming of your son to you to receive a kingdom, dominion and glory. We thank you that that's now been fulfilled in the coming of your son in his ascension. And we pray, please, as we continue to think about how we understand Jesus' absence, would we fill our minds not with uh, thoughts of his absence from us, but his coming to you and his installation as your king. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, I said there would be question time, and now is your time. If you have any questions or comments, I'll give you a minute. Victor. Why do they refer to the God as the ancient of days? Uh, yes. Um, so 
before the recording, why is God referred to as the Ancient of Days? So Daniel 7, verse 9. So interestingly, the let me just read verse 9 because the, there is a, 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 a description which I think will help us to um, unpick this a bit. So uh, verse 9, it says, As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head was pure wool. His throne was fiery flames, its wheels were burning fire. And so it's interesting, with, with the description of the Ancient of Days, is also his description of his clothing, is white as snow, and the hair on his head like pure wool. Now, this is, um, the language here is very symbolic. It's kind of in an apocalyptic genre. And one thing you have to kind of do is work out how the symbolism is working. But here, the fact that his head is like pure wool is this idea of um, not that he's old and decrepit, but that actually he is old and wise. There is a description of um, uh, he's been around and therefore he knows what's going on. And I think that probably ties into the whole idea of the ancient of days, that actually God here is 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 been um, described as one who, um, well, in contrast to the kingdoms in the book of Daniel, you've got these human kingdoms that come and go. Here is one that's that's um, transcends all of the comings and goings of human kingdoms. And I guess Victor, we can step back and go, well, that makes perfect sense because the Ancient of Days is, is in other language, the uncreated creator, and therefore he has no beginning because he has always been. So I think this in the, because early on in chapter 7, you've got these four beasts who come and go, and then we then have as part central to the vision this Ancient of Days who sits on the throne and interestingly, because you also asked the question, who is the Ancient of Days who can give dominion and glory and a kingdom to one like the Son of Man? Um, he can only give it if it's his to give, and it's his to give by virtue of who he is, that he is the uncreated creator, and therefore creation is his to give, and here we see he gives it to his Son. So is that okay for... That, I mean, that's that's an initial look at the context of Daniel seven. But, but there might be more to say. Anybody else?
Hun har bedt. Well, I'll leave you to have a think because we'll, we'll, um, we will look at next week how his ascension relates to the spirit. And so putting those two things together I might throw up some more things. Let's leave it here now and we're going to sing our next song, uh, Come Are You Faithful? <laughs>